brought to you almost live from the dude in the basement studios. Why? Because that's where the good stuff is. It sips, suds, and smokes with your smoking host, the good old boys. If you haven't heard about the Great American Beer Festival event, we're here to give you all the info. This is good old boy Mike. Good old gal Juliana. And good old boy Dave. Hey, said gal. We are here to invite you to join us in Denver along with Robert Moore and <clears throat> uh, company on uh, October 4th at Cheeky Monk on the Colfax location from 5 to 7 p.m. Did we really need another excuse to drink beer? Bring on the Belgians, dude. I can't wait. Where can I get tickets? I don't know, Dave. You actually don't need one. It's free. I mean, like, free-free. We're going to have such a blast. Like, really free? <clears throat> yeah, like free-free. That's correct. <clears throat> or free-free-free. Free-free-free-free-free-free. Free-free-free. I'm we'll thinking rec- it's free. I know. I have no idea why I'm choosing to do this, but we're actually going to be recording one of our famous audience participation episodes on-site at uh, the Cheeky Monk on October 4th. Nothing like combining a bunch of drunk people and good old boy Mike and good old boy Dave on the radio. <laughs> well, keep me. Up. Yeah, that's a that's a questionable <laughs> choice. That's for sure. Listen, we'll be along. Uh, we'll be there along with Reverend Mark and a guest appearance with one of the GABF Pro Am competitors, Chris Allen. Woohoo! Goes up. Yep. Uh, probably a few surprise guests as well, as well as some of other Dave's friends that are questionable. Wow. Okay, so we're getting together with some friends, drinking lots of beer, and talking into a microphone. I think I know some people that might want to do this. I'm a little bit overqualified. Uh, We may need some sort of skills test to figure out who exactly can participate. Uh, Bingo, you got it, Dave. We're actually going to be having a beer trivia contest as well. So, listen, our trivia contest last year was so famous that there are people actually still protesting about the quality of correct answers all the way around Coors Field. They're standing all day going, your trivia sucks. Your trivia sucks. Cheeky, m- <clears throat> Cheeky Monk, is that that place where that last time that girl was trying to blow into your microphone? Uh, no, that's a different <laughs> That's a different place. Another story, uh, Dave. Uh, oh, is this yeah. mic on? I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, well, listen, uh, the Cheeky Monk was a good belching zone nominee for 2013, but they just barely got squeaked out by another place, Tourist in Brooklyn, New York. But listen, the Cheeky Monk is just amazing. Uh, you know, Katie that works behind the behind the bar, just really phenomenal bartender, uh, really bright, knows everything about Belgian beer. The beer selection is nothing less than stunning, <clears throat> and okay. the food is awesome as well. So, it, listen, if somebody actually had to ask me about a authentic Belgian bar experience, the very first suggestion I would have would be Cheeky Monk. Okay, he- so I'm getting all for clumped here, okay? And I want to go. But for clumped, is that a real word? For clumped. Okay. Yes, right. it's word of the day, okay? Word of the day. Um, but I don't want to go with day. <laughs> How can I make that happen? Well, I can I, make that happen. Yeah, well, I don't either, but there'll be a lot of people that actually want to show up for this event. So listen... If you'd like to attend this event, uh, the best way to do that is go to our Facebook page, and you'll see on the event section um, the event for October 4th at GABF at the Cheeky Monk. Pretty simple. RSVB to uh, that as well. We have a super door prize uh, to give away for somebody that is in the list of the people that RSVP for this event. So it's a bit of an homage back to one of our original episodes where we actually gave away what's leader in 12. (gasps) I know. How about that? We actually still have some of this, and we'll be giving away one highly prized bottle of West Leader in 12. With the cap, no less. That's right. You have to share with me if you win, though. Well, uh, you've already shared with that, Dave. We rated that beer a a six, and you actually drank half the beer and then recapped it. You mean I left half of it? That's correct. And also, that beer is rated a three, so I want to thank you. you. I appreciate that. Uh, Actually, we're going to have to come up with some of our own plan to leave Dave behind, but I'm confident it will be something creative and involving duct tape. 
But Can I RSVP? Uh, no, uh, Dave, you will be <laughs> already be there, unfortunately. So uh, there'll be plenty of other Belgian quads available at Cheeky Monk for you to drink, and then you can recap those as well. Listen, we'll have uh, plenty of other handouts. Our magical T-shirts will be in free flow. Um, listen, if you would love to take advantage of those, we'll actually be scoping out uh, magical T-shirts uh, during GABF week. Uh, and if we actually spot you wearing one at a bar or restaurant or something else like that, bam, magical, we'll pick up the tab. So um, definitely a, a great time to uh, pick one of those up in advance as well. Check out our Facebook page for all the info. Uh, you know, we might even have a contest about uh, where is Dave? You know, kind of like a where is Waldo thing. But, uh, with, with beer. With beer, yeah, that's correct. Seriously? That could be, like, exciting, or that could be, like, really, really, really lame. Because, yeah, you know, I'm I've seen lame. where he goes, and there's a lot of undesirable places there. Let me tell you something. I'm tell already something. practicing my autograph for all my fans. Really? So when I come out, if you want me to write Just Dave, or Good Old Boy Dave, or Cinnamon, my stage name... <laughs> Whatever. Cinnamon. <laughs> you know, I, I just don't know about Help that. Help me get out of this, please. Uh, listen, if you have an extra uh, roll of duct tape, please send that to info at sip, suds, and smokes. We'd like to use that just for this occasion. <clears throat> uh, I'm sure after enough beer, you will figure all this out, Dave. Uh, I'm quite certain you'll figure out exactly what his signature, but I'm going for cinnamon. Hey. <laughs> hey. <laughs> hey, listen, uh, be sure and join us. Uh, Sip, Suds, and Smokes in Denver, Colorado, October 4th from 5 to 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time at Cheeky Monk at the Colfax location. For right now, we want to say goodbye. And find me a place to stay. Without Dave. See Without you Dave. at the uh, Cheeky Monk. <clears throat> e. 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 <laughs> Listen, we'd love to see you there. This is good old boy Mike. Looking forward to seeing all of you there. We're going to ask you to keep on sipping. It's sippin' time. Hello and welcome to this sip segment. I'm good old boy Mike, one of your hosts here today. We talk about everything good in life is worth discussing here on our sip segments. Our show is the best thing on at 2 a.m. And we're happy you selected us instead of the lawn repair tips with Walt tonight. So I appreciate that. (laughs) Joining me here at the table uh, is good old boy Jason, producer of Cumberland Cast Tennessee Whiskey and bourbon expert. Thank you for joining us, Jason, once again. Good to be here. So uh, our sip segments are all about wine, distilled spirits, tea, and coffee. Uh, Here's what we're going to discuss on our segment today. We are going to rip the lid off the distilled spirit world with some very popular products. And they are not made where you think they're made. And they're not made who by (laughs) who they're made by. Uh, We're going to taste and review some of these products today and have a general discussion about this practice in the distillery industry in general. Uh, The products we're going to review are going to be George Dickel Rye. Uh, Templeton Rye, the small batch version, Old Scouts, 10-year bourbon, Cleveland bourbon, Filibuster that's finished uh, over rye French oak, and Angel Envy, and the version we're going to have of that is rye that's finished in rum cask uh, for today. So those are the products that we're going to get to talk about. Jason gets the honor of going over our SIPs ratings for today. All right. Well, our sips rating is uh, one. Give me a glass of water to wash out my mouth. Might have a couple of those today. (laughs) Number two, nice. But what else do you have? Well, isn't that nice? Number three, hmm, interesting. What was that again? Interesting. And number four, let's keep this secret to ourselves. Pour me another. That's classified. And number five, oh my, I was unaware anything could be this good. Oh my goodness! Yes! 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 
<clears throat> and I think we might have things all up and down that scale today. <laughs> I don't know about you, Jason, but uh, just to uh, tell our audience a little bit, we're actually recording outside today um, on a screen and porch. It smells so good in here. It does smell really good <laughs> in here right now. Tell you. I mean, <laughs> so the last time we got together was actually for one of our Scotch shows, and uh, one of our uh, colleagues, Ryan, actually spilled some of the Scotch in the room, and that room just smelled like peat for you know probably the entire show. And I was like, I was wondering if I could take a bath in this. And I got to say, just sitting here and just the general aroma that's coming off, uh, you know, the tasting glasses that we have in front of me, I just. Let's just hang up the microphone and just start tasting. You know, just <laughs> what's the point? Anyway, I do want to share the experience uh, with our audience here. So, I, uh, Jason, I know that this is a topic that you love to talk about, and it was those many conversations that we've had, plus a recent article that came out from uh, the Daily Beast by Eric Felton that actually provoked many of our listener comments on our own Facebook site. Now, Eric's article link is posted on our Facebook page. But we'll actually discuss some excerpts uh, from this article as well. And I know one of the things that you mentioned to me is this is not the first time that this article came out. And it actually came from a Huffington Post. Yeah, there's been many articles about this. Um, basically, people got wind of what was going on. And there have just been articles in every news venue you could possibly imagine. Yeah. Well, uh I don't think we're going to be piling on with our discussion today, um, and I'd like to think that both your background and knowledge uh, is going to bring an interesting and informative twist uh, to this story as well. So I guess the the one group we're going to talk an awful lot about today uh, is going to be Midwest Grain Products, formerly known as, uh, we'll call them NGP today, um, but they're formerly known as Lawrenceburg Distillers Indiana, or LDI. Mm -hmm. So I'd like for you to just kind of give us a, a little bit of background on who are these folks, and what are some general trends that are actually going on kind of in this mass distillery world? Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, basically, MGP or LDI, I still call it LDI. I've, I've not transitioned to the MGP <laughs> name yet. But um, they were a Seagram's distillery back in the day, and they've swapped hands many times. Um, they were most known recently because they make um, alcohol or ethanol for the perfume industry, for food products. They make um, grain products for feed for animals. Um, but basically now uh, they, they do they still do all that but they're also one of the largest distillers in the country um, and they're basically a bulk distillery and they will sell any bulk spirits that you want whether it's vodka or gin or whiskey they wow. will they will actually distill your own recipe <clears throat> for you and age it for you in their warehouse which is something that's very interesting huh oh, that's a new twist for yeah. sure hmm. so uh, you know I really thought that uh, this story about these folks uh, was very interesting in the article as well. And I'm really glad that you mentioned one of the things that caught my attention is this is not a rye whiskey shop only. I mean, no, this is a, this is like in a, an industrial alcohol factory. Correct. Uh, some, because they actually distilled so many other things. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I, I love that you always tell me is this story is not uh, just unique to the to the world of whiskey no it's not <clears throat> and you were telling me a little bit about the way vodka is handled here in the u.s as well correct so um pretty much there are very few vodka manufacturers you know people like uh tito's and sky and other people they contract out the distilling process and have for a very long time um basically it's just trying to keep up with supply and demand that's so bad <laughs> <laughs> um so, uh, I guess one of the things that uh, the story we were talking about, um, the background is kind of where this came from. And you were telling me a little bit about the trend that Scotch had, you know, for many, you know, centuries. And I, I it's a great story. I'd love for you to, to tell it here for our audience. Yeah, absolutely. Well, basically, back in the day, um, pot stills were very, very small in Scotland and a producer could only make so much and as i was told to me by a uh, very famous scotch blender there were only two professions in scotland you were either a farmer or a fisherman 
and pretty much everybody made whiskey. So a distillery that was... I like that, wasted fishermen. Yeah. <laughs> um, so if a distillery was um, making whiskey, they would also look to everybody around them and would purchase barrels on a fairly regular basis. Um, it was just common occurrence. Uh, pretty much when you grew grains, you could sell them at market or you can make whiskey and make two or three times as much money. So everybody did it. And it's a practice that definitely falls us followed over to the United States of all farmers pretty much made alcohol also and would sell some of that alcohol. It's kind of, you know, one of the foundation principles of the United States. I mean, our first president was a moonshiner. Mm. Well, so I know that this uh, practice actually is still very much in place, you know, for the uh, the scotch industry. Yes. I, I buy a lot of things that there's a lot of terms, gray label, off label, you know, basically bottler. Um, or you know, alter- alternative aging. Um, there's a lot of terms that are used for a lot of these groups. But I guess my point here is that this is a practice that hasn't gone away. No. In fact, it's very much in place still uh, Correct. In, in Scotland and very much a part of the Scotch industry. Correct. Uh, even today. But this is a little different tale uh, that we have here going on with uh, MGP, right? Yes. Yes, it is. And uh, so... Uh, I'm glad that we had a chance to talk a little bit about, you know, the background about who MGP is and LDI was. <laughs> um, so it was just a name change that, that happened here, right? <laughs> it, it, nothing really materially happened other than it just got bought out by M, by MGP. Right? Correct. Yeah. Correct. So same stuff, same story. So I love this quote from Todd Leopold uh, in this article that really kind of goes to the heart of the economic conditions that are much like what I would describe an addictive business cycle that is very difficult to break. So here's uh, the quote from Todd. Uh, Todd Leopold is the master distiller at Denver's Leopold Brothers, has actually managed to do it. And part of the reference there is that actually to move away from actually making his products at uh, MGP. But how much easier, he says, with disdain for those who just buy whiskey off the shelf and market it. All they do is hire salespeople, make up a BS story, and boom, they look like a distillery. And I know that that is a very big story, you know, tale that we have here. And we actually have one product uh, that's actually sitting in front of you and I to kind of talk about almost that exact same uh, principle of how they came to be. Yes, and that is the Templeton Rye. Um, the Templeton Rye has a long story behind it claiming that it is Al Capone's whiskey and that it is his recipe and it is a repackaged um, whiskey that was made during Prohibition. Mm. And um, I can tell you right now that there are some lawsuits that are involved with the marketing of that product. Oh, well, I'm sorry. The lawyer and me once I'm, I'm kidding about that. You mentioned people fighting, and I got excited. Um, so, uh, not true. Not true. Not true at all. Nope. It is. It is not Al Capone's recipe. It is a uh, MGP rye whiskey. Can we? Uh, can we at least applaud? It was a fabulous story. It was a fabulous story. <laughs> it definitely was. So kudos to their marketing team uh, on that one. Um, I guess the other story you have around this is uh, so that's a really good example of uh, a bit of the cloak and dagger between basically it's a marketing story that's wrapped around a product um that has absolutely no lineage or substance to it at all Mm -hmm. um so i guess one of the other things is uh as we were going through such a you know vast collection of products to choose from that are made at mgp is just simply reading the labels and even understanding some lineage around uh, this is is a little difficult. I love the story that you had around uh, the Bell Mead whiskey and uh, talking a little bit about some of the lineage around that particular whiskey as well. Yeah, um, I mean, basically, it's just it, it's when distillers get caught in lies that it really offends me. Um, but Bellamy Bourbon, their first batch came from Bardstown, Kentucky. Um, I have the bottle sitting right in front of me right now. And on the back of the label, it says distilled for and bottled by Nelson's Greenbrier Distillery, Bardstown, Kentucky. And by law, you have to tell the truth on the one 
part of the back label. Everything else you can make up. Microprint. Yeah. <laughs> um, so their first batch was from Bardstown, Kentucky, and they told everybody that it was their recipe, their mash bill, their yeast strain. And then the next batch came out, and it was from Indiana from LDI and whiskey has to age for 10 years. So pretty much I don't think they made whiskey for 10 years in Bardstown and then decided to switch, you know, on a whim to Indiana. It's mm-hmm. just they're sourcing whiskey and they try they're to come up with the sourcing age whiskey too, yes. right? Yeah. Uh, which is even uh, probably I would consider more of a disdain practice than actually just buying straight white lightning yes. and aging it on your own. Yes. That's just, you know, even worse to say somebody's age product is yours. So that's crazy wow (laughs) so uh this practice uh is not just a consumer marketing smokescreen but it's actually influencing uh the consumer definition of what is actually good rye whiskey so there's another quote uh in this article from clay risen who is the author of a book called whiskey bourbon and rye it's a good book i like it um get a chance pick it up um check it out there's a lot of good stories in it so here is the uh, a bit of the dis- discussion in this article. Another challenge actual craft distillers face is that the armies of new rye drinkers have come to expect whiskey with a particular flavor. That is the taste of MGP rye. If you've ever tried Dickel Rye, Rem- uh, Redemption, or Templeton, you'd think that's how rye whiskey should taste. Um, MGP whiskeys are actually marketed under so many different labels that they have colored perceptions of what rye should actually be. And I guess the thing that got me thinking about this is there is so much media hype over the concept of rye and actually, you know, making moonshine itself. And, you know, this concept of so much volume of rye has really got to rail against the concept of craft and culture um, aspects of actually making moonshine itself. Um, so, uh, I know that Popcorn Sutton uh, whiskey, or moonshine, is actually made in Nashville. Uh, it's in the hands of a very capable friend of the show, Travis Hickson, who's actually the former brewer uh, at Blackstone Brewery. And he's uh, actually been working hand-in-hand against the really great talent, uh, Jamie Grosser, uh, who actually worked with Popcorn Sutton. Um but the thing that a lot of people don't know is they actually make the popcorn Sutton moonshine at Corsair Distillery. Um, and I know that they're actually, I think they're trying to move to their own facility or they something are. like that. Yeah. You know if the move's already taken place or? Um, no, I don't think it has yet. Yeah. So it's, you know, all of a sudden you have the hands of the American palate, you know, in. Uh, somebody like you know MGP here uh, that's actually almost influencing the concept of what good rye tastes like. Um, you know, I mean, looking at the vast you know uh, range of products, do you really think that they're having some undue influence on the American palate? Um, I say yes, and I also say no. Um, and I'll use the same argument to where when you go around the world and you ask somebody, what do you think about American whiskey? And they'll say, it's good, but it's got a bite. And it's because they're talking about one brand. Yeah. And that's all they know. And yeah. that's what they think American whiskey tastes like. Hmm. Um, and I would say the same thing with rye right now. Um, and it's just because the stocks and the reserves of, of rye whiskey are low. Um, so MGP puts out a ton of different brands. Um, um, you put a link on your website to the huge list. Yeah. Um, and I will say that a lot of them have a lot of similarities. Um, I think that we did a good thing here separating out three bottles that pretty much don't do anything to it and three bottles that put their own stamp on the whiskey that changed the product a lot. Um, but, I, but I will say that they, they probably have very much influenced what people think of rye whiskey, or at least the younger generation of what they think rye whiskey is. You know, older generations, especially going back to right when Prohibition ended, rye whiskey was Canadian. I mean, everybody thought rye, I mean, good rye whiskey came from Canada. So, and there's still great examples of that well, today. It was also cheap and, and plentiful. And, True. Uh, the, I think that simply uh, product availability and price 
price point, I think, had some influence about that as well. Very true. Very true. But I will I will tell you from a distiller's perspective that the cold weather does great things to rye whiskey. Um, and a great example of that is Whistlepig, which is one of my favorite rye whiskeys. It's, mm-hmm. it's made in Canada. And, you know, of course, they put Vermont Farm on the front of the bottle. But if you ask Dave Pickrell, who's the ex-master uh, distiller at Maker's Mark, who's the master distiller now for Whistlepig, they will tell you that it's Canadian whiskey, but that they bring the whiskey to the United States and age it and finish it in multiple different barrels. So they're putting their own stamp on the bottle. So a little difficult for me to follow the lineage around that. Somehow <laughs> it's declared uh, it, it's declared an American product. I don't even know from what state <laughs> in that scenario. Well, you know, I think uh, so much of what um, what I get swept up in is. Uh, so much of my frame of reference about um, products is according to food laws. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think part of my, so my frame of reference are, are French wine uh, labeling laws, and more importantly, how uh, both French and the DOC actually are they're bound by food laws in those states about exactly what they can put on the label. No different than uh, in the U.S. How you have you know n- nutrition labels have to be certain size and you have to go through testing and you have to declare all this other stuff about it. Um, it. I really wonder if you think that if there were simply just not not so much a change in the industry, but there was some measure of uh, consumer protection in simply labeling laws around distilled products to say where it was made who actually made it and where did it come from Mm -hmm. well i can tell you that there is there are some laws they just don't go to the extent that they need to go um the best thing is on the back of every bottle right above the government warning there is usually a distilled and bottled statement um the if you say distilled you have to be truthful if you say a lie you will go to jail um, if you say bottled, it has to say exactly where it's bottled. If you lie, you will go to jail. But there is one word that has become very popular right now, and that is the produced statement. Mm. The produced statement is very lenient. Pretty much you can say wherever your company is incorporated or where you do business out of if you put a produced statement. So is that uh, really just a matter of... Uh uh, skirting measures of tax laws, um, you know, that may be favorable, how they're labeling components around that, or why would somebody, you know... Because they don't want you to know where it came from. Interesting. Huh? They do not want you to know. Why don't they just put a giant question mark on the label? That would be a little <laughs> more accurate. I'd appreciate... Go, go fish. <laughs> yeah. Well, I and you we talked about this before the show, but, you know, one spirit group that is definitely taking this under their wing is tequila with nom numbers. So if you look on the back of every tequila bottle, it has a nom number, and then you can go to uh, the internet and search for the nom number, and it will tell you exactly who made that bottle of tequila and where it came from. Mm. And I will say that I do think that eventually it will go there with whiskey just because there are so many lawsuits right now. Huh. Well, are, but are those lawsuits mainly about uh, maintaining market share and you know crushing somebody in the courtroom as opposed to on the liquor store shelf? I, the lawsuits right now are about false advertising and lying to consumers. Um, well, people, keeping the lawyers happy and the, you know their revenue well in tow. Yeah, <clears throat> uh, which I don't mind that. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, so uh, I think one of the things uh, I wanted to mention here. So in full disclosure, mm-hmm. uh, you actually use a similar process with your own Cumberland cask, but you actually use a different micro distil- distiller. I wonder if you can share with us a little bit about um, why you do that, how how it came around, and some of the decision making you know that you had to actually kind of go that route as well. Absolutely. Well, my family has been in the liquor business legally since 1939. Um, My great-grandfather started up a distributor and was also instrumental in helping Dickel open after Prohibition. So my family has very much been a part of Tennessee whiskey heritage um, since Prohibition has ended. Well, when I got in this business, I've been wanting to make a whiskey for a very long time. But as a craft distiller right now, you either have to wait a decade or you can put out what I consider an inferior product, which is something that's aged in a small barrel or something that's aged in a large barrel, but only for a year. 
So to me, those products don't have any roundness or any any flavors to them. So what I decided to do was get in touch with the distillery in Tennessee. So my product is distilled in Tennessee. It is aged in Tennessee. I do not lie about that. Um, and pretty much I asked them if we could use their facility and use their uh, stills and use their rack houses. And um, we purchased whiskey when it was ready. Um, I tasted it for up to two years and it was, you know, it wasn't ready. It wasn't ready. It wasn't ready. And then finally it was. And when it was, we brought that whiskey to Nashville and we bottled it here at another craft distillery. Hmm. However, um, there were two things that I also did that were very different. So I put my own stamp on the bottle by not doing their exact process. My whiskey is completely unfiltered. I'm the only unfiltered Tennessee whiskey. And I also am the only cask strength Tennessee whiskey to come out. Um, and the reasons why I wanted to do that was because I was tired of paying crazy prices for cash strength whiskey. So I wanted to give the market something that they could finally afford. And that was one of the reasons why I purchased the whiskey that I did. Now, I will tell you that we've got whiskey aging in Nashville right now. We've got whiskey being finished in barrels right now. So, you know, we're putting our own stamp on the whiskey. So we're, we're very open. We've got full disclosure. If anybody asks me, I will not lie to them. Well, and that's why I love having you here at the table, you know, to talk about, you know, this, this topic because um, you've seen the way that it uh, has affected not only the producers or people actually marketing products, but you also see the consumer side of the equation as well and the net effect that it's having. Uh, with consumers and that's why I love having you here at the table well uh, it is just smells so good out here I don't, I don't know if I can stand it even one more minute we my have, mouth has been drooling let's swing to talk about some of the products we have in front of us and a broad range of stuff so I wanted to share with uh, with our listeners a little bit about the process that we went through um, selecting some of the products that we're going to uh, taste and review today um, so the simple division is the good stack and the bad stack. Um, and it's not uh, based on product. It's actually based on practice. Correct. What we're talking about here. And so uh, the first three we're going to go through are some folks that have some questionable lineage as well as labeling <laughs> practices. And we'll kind of uh, talk about those in the same time we're actually tasting and rating uh, some of these as well. So up first is going to be George Dickel's rye whiskey. Um, and I love the discussion we had uh, when I was writing this down. So I said, so this has been aged, what, like, you know, eight years or four years? And you were going, no. Yeah, no. <laughs> so we're going to call this three, well, well, we're gonna yeah, call well, this three and a half yeah, years. Yeah. I, I always like to give it the range of two to four. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say on the back of this bottle, it says distilled in Lawrenceburg, Indiana, bottled by George Dickel in Norwalk, Connecticut. So this, this whiskey has traveled the country. Uh, well, so, uh, hmm. sorry, I had to take a swig of, of water behind the back end of that. So the first word I would use is, holy crap, that's hot. <laughs> so, um, you know, this is, uh, this, this reminds me of something that I uh, drank at a, at a different age point in my oh, life yeah. uh, than where I'm at right now. Reminds you of college, doesn't uh, it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Probably actually the smell of a few college rooms is what I was thinking of most definitely. Um, yeah, this is this is hot. Um, it uh, it smells a little sweet. It does, um, but it uh, it definitely doesn't taste sweet uh, at all. Um, you know, I would say that uh, probably if I had a squeaky rear axle, uh, I might use this, but uh, I have, would have to give this sips rating. Uh, a wine, <laughs> which is, please give me some water to wash in my mouth, which is exactly what I did after I, <laughs> I reached for the water cup right afterwards. So what do you think of the George Dickel here? I'm going right with you, number one. <laughs> give me a glass of water to wash out my mouth. God, man. And, uh, I, and I would like to point out that uh, George Dickel is owned by Diageo, and another product they own, which is Bullet, and Bullet Rye is the same source of rye whiskey as this Dickel. Oh, man. Phew. I uh, please don't make me drink that again. <laughs> it's just that was uh, that was that was uh, I was cruel punishment. Up next is the uh, the Templeton Rye, 
uh, Jason talked a little bit about the story of the labeling for this, and I appreciate the fact that you know I'm tasting something that is uh, grounded in the mob. Um, let's see if the uh, this actually. Uh, um, there's hardly any nose on this at all. I will say that the Templeton is younger than the Dickel is. You can just tell by the color. Hmm. It um, tastes a little bit greener. Yeah, it does. Um, not quite as hot. Um, and uh, but that's about it. Um, this uh, this yeah, this tastes a lot younger even than the Dickel did. Um, very flat. I mean, this is on and off the palate so fast. It's like a 3.8 milliseconds. Yep. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, but I'm going to throw this right in the same batch. My sips rating for the Templeton Rye is actually going to be a one. Give me a glass to wash out my mouth with some water. And I will, what I'm going to do. And I will tell you, I'm right there with you again with a number one, and I'm going to drink some water now. Wow. All righty, moving right along. Oh, all right, <laughs> at least now we can go to a little bit better of something <laughs> quickly and uh, quickly and, and briskly. Uh, so this next one is a product called uh, Old Old Scout. Um, it is uh, a ten year old bourbon, and uh, uh, you said this was hot right now. Uh, in um, terms of uh, a lot of collectors are going after this. Correct. So um, one of the biggest thing in the um, collector world right now is uh, the single barrels. So stores can pick out a single barrel, which will differentiate them from the product that's just normally right. on the shelves. I've seen all this. Yeah. Exactly. Well, right now, um, distilleries are out of barrels. And Old Scout is one of the only ones that still has barrels. So we're making a transition here from rye whiskey, the first two rise, to a bourbon. So this one is a bourbon. It is aged 10 years. And they do have a ton of single barrels out there. You can get single barrels of rye and single barrels of bourbon. But this is a great example of Indiana whiskey just under another label. Hmm. So uh, it's kind of hot on the nose. Um, you know, I, it has a hint of uh, smelling a little sweet. Um more complex um yeah this is uh this feels like somebody shoved a a um, a barrel plank on both sides of my cheeks and is scrubbing it hard um uh it's more abrasive um than i probably would would like um i mean uh i have no idea what this costs but I mean, I would I would probably say this is um, a low end bourbon uh, if I had to place it somewhere on the shelf. Um, yeah, this is something uh, maybe if somebody were just getting into bourbons for the first five years, I can see somebody picking this up and not knowing the difference. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, my sips rating for uh, Old Scout ten um, would be actually a two. Nice. But what else do you have? Um, well, I guess I'm just going to have to keep following you there. Oh I'm, I know. Well, I'm, we I'm right there with this. you. I, I will say that I will lean a little bit more to a three. Um, and I'll, I'll, mm. I'll give it a three just to be different. All right. Um, which is hmm, interesting. What was that again? And the reason is, is because coming out of Indiana, I will say that this is one of the best whiskeys that has not been messed with. Um, so I will say, like the out of that specific distillery, this ten-year-old bourbon is some of the best that they have to offer. Hmm. That that another distiller does not, you know, change in their uh, own unique form or style. Well, um, yeah, that's uh, very interesting in this lineup for sure. All right, up next is going to be uh, Cleveland uh, bourbon whiskey. Um, I'm sorry to ask you, how long is this one age? Well, I want you to. Tr- Taste, taste it, it first, oh, and then right. I want to tell you. This is the surprise one. Yeah, this is yeah. this is the surprise. I've never um, had this before. Th- I will say there's two ends of the spectrum. Either people hate it or people love it. But when they hear the story, um, it's a very very interesting story. Hmm. A very different nose. I can't put uh, my finger on it. It's uh, um, it's uh, it's sweet, but it's uh, it's a different kind of sweet. It's not a corn sweet. It's like a woody sweet. Um, um, ah, well, you know, um, I'm trying to think what that reminds me of. I'll think of it here in a minute. Um, 
Hmm. Um, wow, this is... Uh, interesting. Yeah. Um, interesting is definitely a word. Um, you know, I've had some things that are in um, French oak uh, that are very reminiscent of this. Uh, there's another product, uh, Breen. Um, I think that's the name of it. Um, that is uh, also... Uh, made in French oak, and um, that would be my uh, neophyte guess. Um, I don't know that I would put it. Um, hmm. Wow. I don't know if I'd come back to this or not. Um, I can see having um, a two finger glass of this and being done, uh, and not having a second glass. Um, and for that, I'll probably rate this uh, sips rating for. Cleveland's bourbon whiskey is going to be three. Interesting. Hmm. Interesting, but what else do you have? Um, That's interesting to me. Yeah. So would you like to hear the story of this? Yeah, sure. Okay, so this whiskey is six months old. No way. Yes. Wow. Yes. So <laughs> I what, can't believe that. It is. So, so what right. they did. I'm, I'm, I'm flabbergasted. <laughs> so what they did is they bought whiskey from MGP LDI. And they brought it to their distillery, and then they pressure-aged it for 24 hours in a pressure cooker with wood chips to give it their own unique flavor. So this is the KFC of the bourbon industry? This is somebody <laughs> trying to speed up the aging process. Hmm. So, you know, instead of waiting 10 years for good whiskey, these guys are, in my opinion, in opinion putting out a decent product after six months. Well, I'd have to say, you know, hearing a bit more of the background story, I totally give props out to that. Yeah. Um, you know, for the innovation alone, um, I am really shocked. And I'm sure that there are a lot of purists that are throwing dull blunt objects at their radios right about now <laughs> going, you suck. <laughs> there is no way. Yeah. That is, you can't even label that bourbon. That's not aging. That's like pressurized cooking crap. Um yeah, you know, I'm sorry, but don't knock it till you try it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, would be exactly what I would tell people. Um, so, uh, you think that's a trend? Uh, I do think it's a trend. Simply because uh, uh, su supply and demand is so hot in the bourbon world right now. Mm -hmm. um, and the availability of good wood barrel um, is in short su supply. Do you think that there's going to be some other distillers are going, that sucks. Hang on a second. Let me try that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and I will tell you that every micro distillery is trying to speed up the aging process right now. And if they're not, they're, they're, then they're dumb. Because, I mean, waiting 10 years for a product, paying to put up those barrels, paying the tax every year it's aging, I mean, it's going to get really, really expensive. I mean, mm -hmm. you have to have tens and tens of millions of dollars behind you if you want to do it that way. Mm -hmm. So I will tell you that everybody's playing with it. Even somebody big like Maker's Mark with their 46 is even trying to make whiskey taste differently by putting extra wood in the barrel. Nice and balanced, too. Yes. You know, I have to say, uh, I didn't talk about, uh, you know, when I was reviewing it, uh, just uh, it's, uh, I, I won't use the word mellow, but it's, um, it's, it's pleasing. It is. Um, I will say that you can definitely taste the greenness, and I, I use that word as in you can taste the grains. The wood hasn't come out. The vanilla hasn't come out. You know, the vanilla is what you get when you age whiskey for seven, eight, nine, ten years. Um, but I will say, I mean, I, I bring this to a lot of tastings. It just shocks people that this whiskey is six months old. Well, kudos to you to... You know, pull pull one on me and, uh, you know, <laughs> see my reaction, you know, here with the mic on. I, yeah, definitely uh, props out to you, Jason, yeah. for doing that. Not a lot of folks do that. And I have to say that was uh, could be the highlight of my day here. Um, so why don't you review uh, the Cleveland bourbon as well? Well, I give the Cleveland bourbon on purely a taste rating. I would give it a three also, which is hmm, interesting. <laughs> what was that again? Mm -hmm. um, just because it is extremely interesting to me. It has a different taste profile than most things do. Now, if I was giving it a rating based on their process, then I would give it a much higher rating. I really would. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, for nothing more than just the, um, uh, I would ha have to hand them a technical award on at least pushing the the bounds of uh, exactly how to make a great age product. Yeah, in a shorter period of time. Absolutely. Mm. 
Wow. Pretty cool. Up next is uh, going to be Filibuster. Uh, it is, uh, we're swinging back to rye. Yes, we and, are. And uh, this is actually finished over uh, French oak. Also another product out of uh, MGP Yep, uh, as well. Now, I noticed on the label it says dual cask. I have no idea what that means. Does that it, mean they you know pour from two casks at the same time? What the heck does that mean? <laughs> well, it means it aged in the first cask, um, which was uh, probably New American Oak, and then they finished it in a French Oak, so it saw two casks in its lifetimes. Therefore, dual casks. Hmm. Um, Pritchard's used the word double barrel. Uh, Sazerac has used the word double barrel, but it's just basically saying that it, it has has been in wood more than one time hmm. well uh so my thoughts about on this are uh um you know as far as uh you know aroma um it's just kind of mild uh, a little sweet yes um that's about it um uh, maybe a hint of some honeysuckle or something um uh you know this is uh, hmm um this is more alcohol forward, not not like hot alcohol. This is just you know it's where the alcohol is kind of forward on the palate, and then it kind of tails off rather quickly. Um, I would diff- it'd be difficult for me to describe this as balanced, um, and uh, uh, you know it just has a lingering effect on the back end of your palate that is not cool. Yeah, um, almost like a coating effect. Um, I mean, I, I'm gonna have to take a, definitely a swig of water to, you know, after this one for sure. Um, I would say my rating here for filibuster is going to be uh, a three as well. Interesting. Hmm, interesting. What was that again? Yeah, because there's something about this that's a little different. I can't quite put my finger on it, but uh, again, I would probably have a one finger uh, split of this and be done. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, um, when I taste this, I can taste the dickle rye again. That that's what I taste. That's that flavor coming back out. That's totally it. Jason. It is. Yeah. And then what happens <clears throat> is, is because they finished it in that French oak, you get a little bit of sweetness. It, you know, there's a different taste than that dickle exactly. But you can just taste that. I mean, Oops, that sorry, that folks. that dickle rye. Huh. So, if I was to give it a rating, I give it a rating of three. Hmm, interesting. What was that again? Wow. Um, I'm not being the Pied Piper here, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, and I will tell you that the only reason why I would give it a three and not a two is because they have tried. And they are trying to do something interesting and something different. Yeah. Um, I think that was part of where you know I was in my rating as well, is that um, I didn't think there was anything materially wrong with it. Um, but I just felt like there was a lot more space for some things to go right. Um, so I thought it was right in the middle, and that's that's why I left it where I did. All right. Up next is uh, a very uh, <clears throat> highly prized uh, product um, that I was really shocked. The first time I saw this on the list, I was like, no way. <laughs> so uh, next product we're talking about is Angel Envy. Uh, this is the rye that's actually finished in a rum cask. Um, this is a product that I've had a lot of, and I know you have as well. I've drank way too uh, much of this product. I had, it, I had it before it was released. I had it after it was released. I've bought it personally. I've given it as, as gifts. I've, you know, I have sought out, you know, this product in many different batches, you know, across the U.S. This is a product that I'd like to think that I know fairly well. Uh, although I obviously did not know well enough the lineage of, of this uh, is actually made at MGP. Yes, and and I will tell you for I was not surprised. I was a little surprised that it was MGP. I would have guessed that it was Canadian rye. Uh-huh. That was my first guess. But Angels Envy doesn't own a distillery. They're building one right now in Louisville, um, and I can tell you that their bourbon is sourced and their rye is sourced. <clears throat> Uh, and you didn't get to see me swooning when I took that swig. <laughs> I saw the eyes <laughs> roll a little bit. Did, like, oh, God, please b- just pour a bathtub of this for me. <laughs> Holy crap. Um, yeah, I mean, the. Uh, uh, I don't know if I'm just a sucker for things that have uh, been um, aged in rum cast because there's a lot of beers that I like that um, have been aged in rum cast that I just have gone nuts over. And I would say that part of the... Uh, this is a bit of a novelty, I would say, even in the bourbon world, where somebody has aged something in a much sweeter uh, product. 
like rum and uh i don't know there's just uh, uh the aroma of this is just incredible it's, it is incredible um <laughs> it's just uh, it's so infectious it's one of those things that i could literally put my head over the glass and just breathe into the glass for 15 minutes and i would be completely happy <laughs> um that is just i don't know what that says about me there's some measure of pathetic you know behavior that i have or that i really really like uh the way this smells because the aroma is, is very is really amazing it's just um uh you know the only thing that i'm not hearing is bob marley music uh you know uh when i when i put my head over this i mean it's just uh it really is is quite amazing and so balanced you know in terms of the aroma the taste of this is just uh really makes me swoon um it is very sweet on the front end um and then there's just this wonderful uh presentation in the middle of the taste of this um it's a bit sweet you can taste you know the bourbon that's there uh, but it's all just in this incredibly complex i mean there's like 40 layers mm-hmm. you know of, of flavor that are going on you know through uh through uh the taste of this the finish is great um the only thing that uh, uh i hate about this is usually when my glass is empty yeah <laughs> yeah so uh, I'm going to stop gushing about this and rate uh, Angel's Envy uh, on Rum Cask is uh, a five. Oh, my God. Oh, my. I was unaware anything could really be this good. And that is, a, that is an understatement about this product. Jason, I know this is something you've had quite a bit as well. It is. And I will tell you that every time I taste this, it just, I don't know why, but it reminds me of caramel creme brulee. It's just a dessert. Ooh. Oh, that is right on, man. That is so awesome. Um, But yeah, I mean, Lincoln Henderson, just absolutely incredible. Definitely will be missed. Um, But I will tell you that this is one of my favorite products I've ever gotten to try. Um, and I will tell you if there was a six rating, I would give it a six, mm. but, um, I'm going to have to stick with the five also, which is, oh my, I was unaware oh anything could be this good, but, um, just absolutely yeah. incredible to finish. I mean, it's so complex. Um, I mean, he got, I mean, he sourced the best rum barrels you could possibly get. I mean, he got plantation rum barrels that before they were used for rum, they were used for cognac. And before they were cognac, they were used for bourbon. I mean, you can just pick up so many different flavor notes in this whiskey. Absolutely incredible. It just gets sweeter every time you drink it. It's just awesome. Wow. So I guess the thing that's sticking at me right now is I'm, I'm looking at the six products that we've just reviewed all distilled at the same place. Yes. Why did that dickle suck, suck so much and that Angel Envy was just so amazing? It just shows you somebody who decided to change the product and somebody who bottled something that had already been made. Hmm. Um, You know, sourcing whiskey, like we said at the very beginning, it's not new in the spirit industry. It's been done in the scotch industry forever. It's been done in bourbon, now rye, everything. Everybody sources from everybody in this industry. But, you know, the first three that we tried were people that bought whiskey put it in a fancy bottle, hired a marketing team, and sold somebody else's product. The next three that we tried was somebody that bought whiskey because they didn't have access to good whiskey yet, and then tried themselves to recreate or to make something new. It almost feels like a chicken and egg conversation, yeah. you know, um, which is almost a conversation that I have with uh, you know a lot of people about the concept of... Uh, basic you know business 101 you know foundation do you create something compelling and let the consumer decide whether it's compelling as well in other words the best product always wins or do you take the other route which is i can market i could sell you a vw bug with no engine in it with four flat tires and you would still pay for it (laughs) um and there's something to be said for uh the style in america in so many products that have tremendous market share is that we have some really good people that can market a a vw bus with no engine and four flat tires yeah and sell it to their own mother and go that is the best thing you have ever had right absolutely so you know i think that uh, uh i think 
almost the way we've gone through this is an exercise of where where would you answer the question at the end of the day are you would re, would you really have a great product in your glass or would you rather be marketed to um you know i get asked this question all the time and and i i will tell you i would rather have a great See, product my question in my you glass would be, could i have some more <laughs> <laughs> um and and i will tell you you know uh, you know labels aside bottles aside if the whiskey in the bottle is good, does it really matter where it came from? I mean, w- I mean, boil it down. Does it really matter? If you enjoy something tremendously, does it really matter? You know, the Angel's Envy, you know, we, you know, you and I, I mean, we obviously love this product because you and I found out that it's from MGP. Mm-hmm. Are you going to drink any less of it? No. No, it's not. And you know why? It's because it's a great product. It's a product. great product, yeah. Exactly. Now, when I found out that Bullet Rye and when I found out that Dickel Rye was made at MGP, I started blasting it a lot more because Diageo is the largest spirit manufacturer in the world, and they easily could have made their own product because they got more money than any of us can ever imagine, but yet they wanted to put on a product fast with their marketing team, and that's what they did. Huh. Well, <clears throat> I almost feel uh, we're defining the opportunity to have uh, a show in the not-too-distant future of a blind taste testing, <laughs> uh, because there is nothing more pure than a, than a blind uh, taste testing. And you and I have actually gone to some trade events um, together, and, and I would say that I am... I'm guilty of walking around and seeing, you know, the marketing and who's making stuff and that has and seeing, you know, who's behind a product and that's influencing some of what I think about, you know, some products in advance. I've gone to some blind taste testings for scotch, but I have not done that for bourbon. And uh, I'd like to think that uh, that is in the not too distant future uh, for us. And it w- it will change your opinion yeah. on products. Uh, there's no way that it, if you would, if you had walked up to me and said, "I had Mike, I have a bourbon that has been aged pressurized for uh, less than a year, and um, it is uh, ten dollars less. I don't even know what the price point of Cleveland is, but uh, it's a little bit less than everybody else, um, and I think it'll smoke everything." I would just look at you and go, "You're full of crap," <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm a believer. Uh, after having it today, um, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> that's definitely one product I'm walking away from today, going, "Hmm," and I'm gonna have that same feeling, you know, the rest of the day, going, "Really, I would like another glass of the Angel's Envy." <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> For sure. <laughs> Well, it's, uh, it's been a really great discussion, and uh, I really hope you'll avail yourself of both reading through uh, the article that we were talking about today, as well as looking through the uh, products that are actually hosted out of NGP to help educate yourself about this. And if anything, uh, I'd like to think that we've done a good balanced um, discussion about showing that your misconceptions about a lot of things are not always true. Um, that uh, both a combination of you thinking that you always have to distill something in the place that you consume it, as well as the the uh, capability of, a, of what can really happen if you put the, a great product in the hands of, of great people. Exactly. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> well, uh, thanks to all of our listeners here on Sips, Suds, and Smokes. You can catch all of our episodes online on iTunes, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Stitcher, YouTube, Uncle John's Basement, Jason's Screen Porch, <laughs> and Spreaker, our native media host. Our terrestrial radio sessions are questioning why in the heck did you not ship a bottle of Angel Envy to us? Because they're always expanding, and if you would like to hear this show and them screaming, oh my god, oh my I'd like some more of that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Send them a note and actually copy us as well. You can reach us online at any time at info at sipsudsandsmokes.com. Our daily tasting notes flow out on Twitter every single day. You actually get to see some of these probably flow out on Twitter. Um, our handle on Twitter is at sipsudsmoke. Our Facebook page is always buzzing with lots of news. Listen, do us a favor uh, and take the time to actually rate this episode if you're listening online. That's a really big help to us, and we actually get to see your feedback as well. You can write on that note, Mike, you suck, and rate it a five. I'm happy with that as well. (laughs) 
that Jason guy sounds really cute. Is he available? <laughs> Negative. <laughs> I want to thank my co-host Jason for definitely joining us today. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to go through these products with you and look forward to doing some more in the future. Uh, I look forward to it as well, uh, Jason. We have a lot of great topics ahead of us, and we've covered a really good one today. Most of all, again, I want to thank our listeners. This is good old boy Mike asking you to keep on sipping. been a one tan hand production of sip suds and smokes a program devoted to the appreciation of some of the finer slices of life from the dude in the basement studios your host the good old boys will see you all next time